Hi, Pastor Rob here from Blessed Hope Chapel and RobCartlidgeMinistries.com. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. Jude's warning to the church. And uh, you could even call it Jude's warning to the world as well. Um, what's written in here is, is pretty powerful stuff. And it was interesting that we, our reading today was from uh, Genesis uh, talking about Sodom and Gomorrah because it relates to what we're about to talk about here. Um, one thing I want to make clear about the Bible especially through the Old Testament, it's, it records history, it records what happened. Whether God wanted those things to happen or not, it just recorded plainly what happened. It doesn't brush it away, you know, it doesn't uh, Photoshop it out, sort of thing. It just left it. And so the account of, of Lot and his two daughters and what happened there was historical, a historical fact. The Bible left it at the end of it, even though in a sense, it's quite embarrassing what actually took place there. You know what I'm saying? But it did happen, and that's, and that's the thing we've got to understand that Bible doesn't hold anything back or you know, lie to us about, the, uh, about its history. Yeah, just because it's in there does not mean it's, it's right. Yeah, exactly. Good point, Matthew. All right, so Jude 1, let's have a look at this. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved by God and kept by Jesus Christ. Now, just quickly about this word kept. If you go to the end of Jude, and we go to verse 24, it uses the same term again, to him who is able to keep you. And what does he keep you from? He keeps you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Jesus is able to keep us from falling. He's able to get us presentable before the Father. Now, what does that mean? He does something to us here so that we get changed and transformed here on earth. We must become new creatures to be truly Christian. If we're not getting changed and transformed, then the Holy Spirit is not working in our life. And that's how we know we're not truly Christian. We just got this confession on our lips, but there's no change, there's no transformation taking place. So we must be transformed because Jesus is able to keep us, but only if we allow him to do that work in us. Amen. Now, just another thing, just a quick little bit of uh, history. Jude is a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Now, according to according to tradition and according to the, the biblical uh, history that we have, Jude, or James, is known as the brother of Jesus, actual physical brother, except he's of the same mother, but not of the same father. All right, now Jude is the brother of James, that means Jude is also the brother of Jesus, 
but he couldn't take it upon himself in this letter to call himself the brother of Jesus. He said a servant. Right? He took a humble approach to his brother, Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, tradition tells us that. If we look at Matthew 13, 55, it says, isn't this the carpenter's son? Talking about Jesus. Isn't this his mother? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James? That's James of the epistle James. Joseph, Simon, and Judas, or Jude. Now, listen to this. As a consequence of the doctrine of perpetual virginity of Mary, in the Catholic Church, they've got this doctrine called the perpetual virginity of, of Mary. What they're saying is that Mary was a virgin her whole life. She never had relations with her husband. Okay, now have a listen to this. I was just looking, as I read my Bible app, a lot on my phone. And this is in Matthew 1. It says, this is in the Amplified, Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord said, because Joseph was about to... Uh, Divorce his wife or, or separate from her quietly. He didn't want to bring it, bring it a public disgrace. And, uh, but an angel said, don't do it. And then it says this in verse 25 of Matthew 1. It says, but he had no union with her as her husband until she had borne her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. Until. So he did not have union with Mary while Jesus was in her stomach. But the moment... I should say something. Tommy. Womb arrived. Everyone knew what I meant. But he had no union with her as a husband until she had born her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. Now, that's the Amplified. Now, people might say, oh, it's not in the King James, maybe. Okay, well, the King James says this. And he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. Until he didn't know her meaning sexually. Until. Right, now let's see what else it says in the uh, New American Standard. It says this. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him to marry as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. So the perpetual virginity of Mary is a lie because the Bible tells us so. So don't listen to Catholic priests that tell you that Mary was always a virgin. Don't listen to any Catholic that tries to tell you that because it's a lie. It's in the Bible, or in my Bible app, in my phone. And uh, yeah, that's the truth, according to the Word of God. And Mark 6, 6.3 says, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Some, some Catholics try to tell you, oh, no, they're related to cousins. Well, they would have said the cousins of James, Joseph, because they used the term cousin back then too. You know, come on. The Bible's very, very clear. The only reason they want to tell you that Mary remained a virgin is so that you can worship her and get your eyes off Jesus. That's why 95% of Catholics pray to Mary, worship Mary. That's why 95% of the shrines around the world of Catholic shrines are to Mary, not to Jesus. This is a real problem because people are, Jesus says there's no other way to the Father except through me. You know, you can't get to the Father through Mary. You can pray to Mary all you want, God won't hear you. You must pray to Jesus, through Jesus, to the Father. That's just clear. That's from the Bible. That's from the Bible. That's not a man-made doctrine. 
Okay, now if we just keep going, mercy and peace and love be yours in abundance. So there's one warning already that I created from that verse, right? A warning to the church, this is what's going to take place in the last days. I believe this is what's going to take place in the last days. As we are approaching the return of Christ, there's going to be a massive, massive, massive deception that's going to increase to the point where unless you are a biblical scholar, in the sense of unless we all become scholars and follow the spirit thing to the letter, we're going to be caught up in the deception and deceived, and in that deception could lose our salvation. But also what Jesus is going to do before his coming is he's going to make pure doctrine very clear to those who want to know the truth. So there's also going to be all the false doctrines that have ever taken place in the church over the last 2,000 years. All that falsity is going to be exposed totally. And the purity of the church is going to resume that of the early church. As it was when Jesus was around and the early disciples were the ministers of the day. Do you know what I'm talking about? So I believe we're heading back to the pure doctrine of the early church. And that's why I'm really, really big on being as close to this thing as possible. Because all the little deceptions of all the churches, we're going we're gonna to see it all very, very clearly. You're going to be able to listen to someone talk from a certain denomination, and you're going to listen to them and, and go, hang on, you just said three sentences there that didn't line up with Scripture at all. Completely, totally missed it. And you're going to have that ability to discern. Now, what does that mean for you guys? That means that this thing must get in your heart and your mind. You must get it in your heart and your mind. You've got to really read the Bible. You know what I'm saying? Jude 3, listen to this, Jude 3. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you one to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. What's he saying? He's writing to tell, contend for the faith. Contend means struggle to surmount. Surmount means get over. You've got to struggle with Christianity. You've got to struggle with what's, what's being taught. You've got to engage in it like a competition. You know, this life, this Christian life is a competition in a sense that we have to engage in and it, we have to win this thing. We've got to win life eternal. Then we have been given life eternal in Jesus Christ. Amen. It comes by grace alone. It doesn't come by anything that we can do. But once we are Christian, we start at the race. Now why does Paul call it a race? Because it's there's a competition. There's a war taking place. Right? It's even uh, in 1 Timothy 6.12 Paul said, fight the good fight. So what's the fight? What's the fight that we're contending with? Satan. Satan doesn't want anyone to believe. He wants to fill up hell. He wants to be there to be multitudes with him in hell forever. He doesn't want anyone to get into heaven. And he's going to fight you. He's going to fight you all the way to the line. Do you know what I mean? So you, this is not just a running a race where all you have to do is make the race. This is running a race where guys are trying to elbow you out of the race. You know what I mean? And you get a little bit further down and someone comes up with a spear and they're trying to 
stand here and you've got to get past that and you've got to keep going. This is an intense race. This is the race that no one except Jesus Christ and his pure church wants you to win. I want you all to win. I want you all to get through. I want you to become champions. I want you guys to get it before God and God says, look at these guys. These are champions in my sight. You know what I mean? Now, you might not desire glory in any way, shape, or form on earth, and that's good. But man, desire it for heaven. Desire when you get to heaven, Jesus is going to raise your arm like a winner. You know, in a boxing match, it's the winner. Right? We have to win this race. It's a fight. And don't think when you're not, if, if you lose interest in Christ, that, that's, don't think that that's just something that, oh, you know, Rob's not preaching that one lately, or something like that. Oh, I'm into this, something, oh, I'm getting a bit tired and all that. When you're losing interest, know that you're being attacked by Satan. When you're starting to lose interest in Christianity, give me a phone call. You know what I mean? If anything starts to wane, because you guys have got to be passionate, you've got to be on fire for this faith. In a good way, I'm on fire. The fire of the Holy Spirit is going to burn in your bones. You know what I'm saying? So we've got to contend, we've got to struggle for the faith, we've got to fight the good fight of the faith. As it says in 1 Timothy 6, 12, we've got to take hold of eternal life which you are called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. When you've confessed to me, when you come in and you confess to each other in this, in this house and you say, I'm a believer that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, man, you've got to take hold of that now um, and fight for this. Don't think it comes easy. We've got to fight for it. Does that make sense? Because it is, I, I tell you, I'm fighting. I'm fighting all the time. I'm fighting against so many things. And you guys, obviously, you know what it's like to fight. Yeah? Okay. Jude 4, let's go to that. Jude 4. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago, Listen to this, for certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago. These are men who God already foreknew would become and try to do something deceptive to his people. They slipped in among you. So we've got to be very aware of people who slip in among us, right? We will embrace and accept, you know, people, if they come in and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we'll embrace them. But it takes many years to prove, you know, a a man true to the word. I'm not judging anyone in any way, shape, or form. All I'm saying is you've got to be careful because some people come in and you don't know the motives. You don't know the motives. But other people come in, you can tell their motives just about off the bat. You know what I mean? There's a purity about it. Like when I met Michael and Adam and Jimmy and Randall, you know, I knew it. There's a purity in there. And then, of course, Anthony. And then all you guys, there's a purity about it. But just just watch people, especially as the church gets larger. We've got to be careful. Because there's a warning here, isn't it? There's a warning. But he, Jude was warning the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, so they are godless men, it says. Godless men who change and just take very, very clear, uh, careful note of what it says here. They changed the grace of our God. What's the grace of God? That's his covering of our sin. 
his grace that atones for our, 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 the sins that we have committed. And he, they may turn it into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. So they turn that grace, and I've talked about this at length over the last number of weeks, haven't I, in different sermons, especially in the sermon, If, which was where I brought all the the scriptures up that relate, had that conditional term in it. These men come in and they change the grace of our God into a license for immorality. What that is, that's the once-saved or we're-saved doctrine. Accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour, and you can't lose your salvation. And immediately, if you tell a human soul that, you tell a man in flesh bound in sin, you tell them that you can't lose your salvation no matter what you do, what does flesh nature mean immediately say to that person? The flesh nature says, well, indulge. <laughs> indulge, you can't lose your salvation, doesn't it? And that's what the sin nature will immediately respond with. So we've got to know that, that they're godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and they deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Now that has, that's many different ways of looking at that. Personally, one way I see that is if you deny that Jesus Christ is Lord and King and God, you're denying Jesus Christ. Because if you strip Jesus Christ of his Godhood, of his deity, which, which God the Father gave him, and he inherited through being the Son of God, the actual Son of God, the only Son of God, not like us, not a creation, but a, a, he existed like God, the one who God created all things through and who everything was created for. And by his word he created this, and the word being Jesus Christ, keep this take that from God, from Jesus Christ, if you strip him of that, you don't have Jesus Christ anymore. You have another Christ. Like a Christ that the New Age is believing or something. You've demoted Jesus. And now Jesus doesn't mean as much to you anymore. He's not that much better than you are. He's just a more purified existence than you are. But, and he's a created being. Does that make sense? So we've got to be careful with this sort of stuff. Titus 1.16, just quickly turn to Titus. So these men that come in, these men that come in and deceive the deceivers, they come in to uh, uh, lead God's people astray, deny the sovereign Lord, they come in to uh, change the grace of our God into a license for morality. This is what they, it says about in 1.16 of Titus. It says, they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Now also, just go forward a few chapters, or a few, uh, a few books, and you get to 2 Peter. 2 Peter 2.1. And it says, But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. There will be false teachers. So we're told it will happen. There will be false teachers. I believe we're in an age where we're seeing you know, a huge proportion of false teachers uh, compared to those that teach the truth. They will secretly, listen to this, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. 
And many will follow the shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. So the way of truth, you know, now when they just, people today lump all Christians together, that's because they've, that, there's been Christians in the past that brought the way of truth into disrepute. Now we all suffer for the sins of Christians who never were truly Christian, in my opinion. They taught destructive heresies. And that's what's going to bring upon the church in the last days some of the greatest persecution, is they're going to persecute us in their mind for reasons that are justifiable. But doesn't mean that we are those that have conducted ourselves in that same shameful way in which they think. They just seem to say, all Christians are like those ones over there who did this. You know what I'm saying? But God knows the truth, amen? So let's go back to Jude. Now, try to keep your finger always in Jude. Just go forward a little bit. Jude 5. So though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. Why would he want to remind us of that? Why do you think he wants to remind us that the, the Lord delivered his people Israel out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. That's a warning to Christians who think that they're just Christian because they made some you know, lousy confession many, many years ago. Living in a shameful way, God did, had, had a similar situation among the Israelites when he delivered them from Egypt, and he destroyed those people. His tolerance only lasts a short time. He is long-suffering, he is a patient God, not wanting anyone to perish, but there will come a time when God will say, enough's enough. Just like any father who keeps warning his child, stop doing that, you're gonna get a smack. Eventually, his patience will wear thin. You know what I'm saying? So it says this, that God went and destroyed these people, these Israelites that refused to accept what Jesus, or, or um, the truth, and they stopped maligning the truth. Deuteronomy 2.15, I'll just read, don't go there. The Lord's hand was against them until he had completely eliminated them from the camp. That was a certain time, there was a certain group of people. Could have been, it wouldn't have been the Lord's, uh, Korah's rebellion, but it was other stuff that took place. He eliminates those that do not do his will. 1 Corinthians, this is why we're going to fear God, amen? Who remembers the sermon last week in Felix Hill? We're going to fear God because God is... He's a patient God, but he won't tolerate wickedness forever. We've got to fear him and stay in line with him. Amen. 1 Corinthians 10.5, it says, Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. The Israelites that came out from, Israel, from Egypt, a lot of them, their bodies were scattered throughout the desert there because they rebelled against God. Why are we told this in the New Testament? If it's once saved, always saved. If we can't lose our salvation. It's a warning, guys. It's a warning to say, stay the course. Stay the course. Fight for the fight. Contend for the faith. And remember what happened to Israel. You'd think that all of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, they would have said, great, I'm saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. There's no way I can lose this salvation. Look, we just saw the Red Sea part. The war through. The Egyptians were all destroyed. We must be the chosen people. Therefore, we can do whatever we want. And what happened? 
They did whatever they wanted, and their bodies lay in the desert, dead. They were destroyed. Later, uh, when I get if I, I'll get to it today, but this, I'm going to read through Korah's rebellion. And uh, I think it's a worthwhile read. We'll, we'll go through that when we get there, probably in part four of this sermon. <laughs> Hebrews 3.16. Who were they who heard and rebelled with? Not they. I'll say that again. Who were they who heard and rebelled were they not all those Moses and the dad of Egypt? Who were they that rebelled? All those that Moses and the dad of Egypt. Who were they that rebelled? All those that, you know, believed in Jesus Christ as Lord. You know, I've, I've talked to many Christians, well, past Christians, men and women that used to believe in Jesus, that were brought up with Jesus, that were in the church. And they get, they get to a certain age and they believe some, you know, evolutionary line or whatever. And the next thing you know, they don't believe anymore. Then you can't tell me that those men and women who once believed, who now don't believe, are still saved. See, the Holy Spirit can't work in a man if that man doesn't believe anymore. And you can only be saved if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, amen? You must be filled with the Holy Spirit. You must have the Holy Spirit. You must be able to understand the Word of God and read the Word of God. You must be devoted. You can only be saved if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've got to be in prayer. You've got to be the new life. You know, it's got to be the whole thing. You've got to be the total package. You can't be this partial thing. Because God hates partiality. He hates lukewarmness. It says in the Bible about the lukewarm in the church of Laodicea in the book of Revelation that he's going to spit them out of his mouth. Other versions say spew. Spit and spew, that means that whoever's like that, it's pretty bad stuff. You know, you only spit something you don't want out. You know, you don't pick it up and have it again. You don't vomit something up like a dog and then eat it again. You know, you get it out. Get it out. That means that's how God sees a man or a woman who once believed or believes partially. Lukewarmly. They're not committed, they're not fully Christian. And then we've got to be true, we've got to be true, fired up, complete, total Christians. There can't be any shortfall in who we are. Amen. We've got to be all or nothing. That's why it says, you know, I, I wish you were a whole cold. You know, all or nothing. Even though the cold has references to other things like going down and down. But um, we've got to be all or nothing. And I want to be all. Amen. We've got to be all. We've got to give everything. And we, that, that doesn't mean you don't go and work and you don't do the things you have to do. You do those things, but you do them all in the name of Jesus Christ. You do everything in the name of Jesus Christ. When you go to work in the morning, you pray, Lord, use me today for your glory. Let me shine on my workmates. You know what I mean? When you go down the shopping centre to buy your groceries or whatever, Lord, shine through the love of Christ. Amen? Okay, Jude 6. Let's have a look. Jude 6, it says, And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. Now this is interesting. Angels are the most beautiful creations. 
When I could imagine an angel being created, looking at itself, going, I'm magnificent. I am awesome. Look at me. You know, giant, beautiful angel. God must love me. Look how he made me. And these guys would be thinking, there's no way I'm never going to have part in this beautiful heavenly life that God's given me, where I just fly around heaven and do, the, do God's work. You know what I mean? You can imagine an angel thinking, there's no way God would want to destroy this. I'm amazing. But isn't that pride? Isn't that arrogance? Isn't that assuming that God can't create anything better than that? You know, God created us, and I'll tell you now, science will tell you, we are marvelously designed, even though they deny a designer, even though we're clearly designed, they deny that we've been designed, but they do acknowledge that we have incredible design. It's a bit strange, isn't it? But even though we know that we are marvelously designed, wonderfully created, God's going to transform these lowly bodies at the coming of Christ into imperishable bodies, bodies that cannot ever perish, which means you've got to be completely forgiven and accepted into the kingdom of heaven. Right now, when that takes place, God's going to show us how much more glorious a body can become, a person can become, when he clicks his fingers. Now, those are gloriously created angels, he could do the same thing. But what happened was these angels rebelled because they were too proud of who they, who they were, forgetting that they were only that great because of what God did through them, or when he made them. So he sent them down, and guess what? They changed their appearance. He turned them into abominable-looking beasts that are now horrific to look upon. And now they use those deformities to, you know, use that, you know, see these images of demons in, you know, uh, movies and, uh, you know, people draw what demons look like. And even those that worship, you know, Hindu gods, you know, carve out horrible-looking demon-like figures. And then they bow down to those demon-like figures. You know what I'm saying? But they're deformed, ugly, aren't they? Horrible. That's proof that demons don't look good. But angels are glorious. Now, what does it say? And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but they abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for the judgment on the great day. So they are kept in hell, bound forever. 2 Peter 2 4 it says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held in judgment. That's what it says in 2 Peter 2 4. So, why does it say that in the Bible? As a warning from us. Jude wrote that to warn us that this would happen to us. We could, just like the angels who fell from their glorious positions of authority, those in the church can fall from glorious positions of authority that the Holy Spirit has given us through what Jesus Christ did for us. We have positions of authority, guys. Do you know the words of life and death are in your mouth? If you're a true Christian, what you say holds life and death. And when you speak to someone to tell them about Jesus, understand the authority which goes with your words. Those words have the power to save that man forever or that woman forever. 
great, great authority is in our mouth. If we realize that all the time, if we just knew at all times that just what was coming out of our mouths had the power to give a man eternal life. And if, he, if that man, when he receives eternal life, do you know what he will, how he will embrace you when he's received it? Because it is, it's like in your mouth is the power to give a man something more valuable than a million dollars. You know, what, what would you think of a man who came up to you and just gave you a million bucks? Just here you go, here's a, have a beautiful life, here's a million dollars. You would go, whoa, yeah, wow. <laughs> Sorry? Yeah, you were just But you would, uh, you know, get a million dollars, that's a beautiful gift, isn't it? But do you know what we can give a man through what we say? is far more valuable. Because I can tell you now, on Judgment Day, those that are multi, multi-millionaires, and they're standing before God, and they're standing on the wrong side, and they know they're about to be thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, do you know what they would say? I've got billions of dollars, God. I've got billions of dollars. You can have the lot. Have everything. Have every last cent. I don't want it. And all my real estate, and all of my shares, and everything else that I've accumulated down there. Have it all, God. Have it all, because I just want to enter. That's when they'll realize how important it is. We've got to realize that now that we have the words, that sort of power, it's greater than giving them a million dollars. We give them eternal life. Live forever in an imperishable body that will never die. You know what that means? You can be up on the highest cliff in heaven, up on a beautiful pinnacle, and you can just go, jump off, and just land softly on the grass bottom. You won't die. You can do anything in heaven. You can go and dive under the water and go for a long swim under the water. You won't drown because you can't perish. You know, this is what I'm talking about. This is what we have to offer. Do we realize it? That's what we have to give people. And you know what? I can tell you now, every single person you know, when they get to the judgment day and they stand on the wrong side of God and they know they're going to eternal hell, they can look over at you and say, you had this to give to me and you didn't give it to me. I'm going to hell because you didn't tell me. And your, your defense would be, well, you would have yelled at me and wouldn't want to be your friend anymore. And they say, yes, but I if you just tried, if you just said one thing, I could have had eternal life. And okay, I might have rejected you at the moment you said it, but then I might have been thinking about it every night from that day forward, and 10 years later I would have received Jesus. And it would have been because of what you started in me when you sowed that seed back when you were young. We have the most beautiful gift to give the people. Beautiful gift. And we hide it. We keep it for ourselves. We've got to remember this, guys. You know, we've got to keep this in mind because I think it, it could change Christianity. I think it could change the church. I think it could change a lot of people. Amen? All right, so Jude 7. Jude 7. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Did we just not read about that? 
We just read about that. We know what happened there. They gave themselves up as an example of those who suffer punishment of eternal fire. What were they indulging in? Well, we know according to the scripture that we just read that they were indulging in homosexual practices. You know, when, when the world, or at least the West, come out of the closet back in whatever it was, the 70s, 80s, the 90s, and people started coming out of the closet, you know, there was, it still wasn't an acceptable form because we generally held to Christian morals and principles. But all of a sudden, in the last 15, 20 years, you know, for someone to speak against homosexuality, you'd have to be crazy to the most part. It's completely turned tables. Now what's happening? You can marry. You can get married as homosexual partners. Now this is, a, this is a, the issue is not that I'm a homophobic because I'm not, I'm not scared of homosexual. You know? But the issue is this. Is our society turning into Sodom and Gomorrah? Are we heading towards that sort of a level of sin in our society? If homosexual, homosexual practices is acceptable among everybody, and they even teach it in the schools to, you know, a young fellow that says, you realise if, you know, you, you don't do that well with the girls, you know, there's always your mates. You know what I mean? So, and there's nothing wrong with it. So you, you can have your girlfriends, but if, you, if you're no good with the girls, you've got your mates. So whatever way you go, you can, you can, it's, it's acceptable in the eyes of our culture. Now, what does that tell a, a young boy when you're growing up, or a young girl? They're going to say, well, everyone's telling me it's acceptable. We all think it's acceptable. We're going to have a society coming up that everyone, if they're not Christian, are going to slowly turn and experiment both ways. This could lead to devastating consequences. We could have a Solomon, Solomon and Gomorrah society on our hands at our doorsteps. And I'm not, I don't I'm that fear them. There's no phobia here. But all that, we all know in our heart of hearts it's wrong. Don't we? We all know in our heart of hearts it's wrong. So, could the judgments of God come sooner than we think? I think it's a sign of the last days, because it says, as it was in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. There's not too many descriptions about what it was like in the days of Noah, but I could imagine that it was a Sodom and Gomorrah society because God would have wiped all that. And God wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah as an example for us to know that that's what He's going to do to a society like that. And if you say the West, and I'm talking about, you know, America, Canada, Canada's really far along in the middle, Australia, and then you just include Europe, and all these other countries around the world where it's all acceptable. That's the world, man, turning into Sodom and Gomorrah. That's the whole world turning into Sodom and Gomorrah. That's scary, because God won't tolerate it. When mankind lock themselves to that degree, it's going to wipe them out. And I believe that's what's going to cause the bolts of God's wrath to be pulled out, the seven trumpets to be blown, etc. That's what's going to put Jesus on his horse and say, I'm going back now. I'm going to save my loyal ones, my faithful ones, I'm going to save them, and the rest of it is going to be destroyed. Amen. Who sees this? It's a warning right here. 
Let's talk about or I'll better start closing. Okay. What scripture was that? That was 7. 2 Peter 2.6, it says, If you condemn the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them in ashes and make them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly, uh, there was also more of that scripture. 2 Peter 2.2, Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the weight of truth into disrepute. You know, where in series we need to get ministers in churches who are homosexual and, and all that sort of thing. You know, once that once the church starts to allow it, once the church starts to embrace it and preach that it's fine, they start denying what the Bible says about it. Because it says no homosexual enter the kingdom of heaven. It also says no adulterer. But that doesn't make me an adulterer phobia. I don't have an adulterer phobia, you know what I mean, because it says that. I don't have a wife phobia, because this is lies. So it doesn't mean I have a homosexual phobia, right? Because I'm just saying what the word of God says, and I'm saying it with authority because the Bible says it. And I don't care if someone tells me the Bible has no authority and this is the truth. I say, well, sorry, you're only a man. The Bible trumps you straight up. Actually, I don't care if, if we're the only ones in the world that follow the Bible and everyone else tells us that we're wrong and the Bible's wrong. I don't care. I'm going to stick to the Bible because the Bible trumps men. Even though it was written by the hand of men, it was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And I'll stand by that because I read it so much I can see the truth in that. Amen. Alright, let's, let's leave it on that and uh, let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for this message today and I pray that uh, as I do the following parts of this message that it really hits home. I pray that it, uh, it really gets into our hearts and uh, helps us to understand uh, the warning that Jude gave us and helps us to see what is happening in our culture, what is happening all around us and um, changes us, prepares us to be the people that we're meant to be. Because, Lord, we've got to change. There's so many things in us that we have to change. Um, and uh, we need your help. We need your help to get through this life. We need your help to fight the good fight of the faith. So give us your Holy Spirit, Lord. Pour out your Holy Spirit on each and every man here, each and every woman here, and uh, help us. Help us to be changed and transformed and new creatures. Lord, help us also to tell others. Help us to understand just what is in our mouth. The power of life and death is in our mouths. Help us understand what we've got to give people. I think we so little understand this, Lord. We so little understand what we can give someone just by speaking to them. And we're too scared to speak because we don't want to, you know, mess up relationships and all that sort of thing. But Lord, help us to get beyond that. Help us to get bold in the faith. Help us to become strong in the faith so that we can speak with, with holy boldness, but also with love and understanding. Give us wisdom to be able to articulate our words. Give us that ability just to speak it out and make it clear to those that we can speak to. Because, Lord, there's no doubt in our mind that you exist, and there's no doubt in our mind that we're going to have to face you on Judgment Day, and every man that's ever been created, every woman that's ever been created, is going to have to face you and stand before you on Judgment Day. And, Lord, help us to, to get more and more over to, uh, to your side, into the kingdom of God. 
Help us, Lord. Help us. Help us make us a church of, of ministers that can reach people with the gospel and convert them to the truth. And I pray this in your wonderful name. Lord, bless us this week. Bless us in everything that happens this week. Uh, pour out your spirit upon us and direct us. Help us to live according to your will. Help us to resist evil. Help us to resist the sin nature and walk by the spirit every moment of this week. And I ask you this in the wonderful name of Jesus. If you search Rob Cartledge in the iTunes store or go to www.robcartledge.com, you'll see a number of different sermon series uncovering religion, truth, judgment, and eternity, apologetics 101, critical doctrine, and end times. Feel free to check them out.